Well, it's good to have you out here today. That was like two weeks worth of worship, wasn't it? Wow. That was, uh, that was most good. We, um, I was out on a, on a run on a Wednesday, and usually on Wednesdays I'm focused on what we're going to teach on on Wednesday. And for whatever reason, this Wednesday, came, then my focus came a scripture I knew we would get into eventually. I knew there's no way you can get into this topic on authority without getting into this scripture. And for some reason, I was taken over to that, and I was meditating on this the whole way on the run, and, and came back and wrote down a bunch of stuff from it, and then we saw the storm was coming, and I thought, oh, man, we're going to be missing a lot of people this Sunday. And I said, I, I really want everybody to be able to get a chance to get a hold of this. And so well, we didn't have church, so, so <laughs> we're in the same thing there. But I've been meditating almost every run I've been out there. I've been thinking about this, this scripture going over and over it again, and I don't know that we'll get into everything. But we're going to try and get into a bunch. But before we do that, we're going to start off with something that may, some of you may remember seeing this on the television uh, a number of years ago. Go ahead, Daryl. What's in the bag? Lunch. Big Mac, fries. Thank you, Port. You and me for my Big Mac. First one to miss, what's the winner eat? No, don't. <laughs> commercial we uh we think about that and we think two two guys who are fantastic basketball players great shooters uh but how many think it gets a little far-fetched there at the end <laughs> we're going to be talking about some things today regarding the possible and the impossible and for god even some of the things that seem to be improbable for us are possible for him just like in the commercial what well, is would seem to be improbable for most of us they make it out like it's very very probable for them to, to go ahead and do that. But before we, we get into this, let's just review a few things. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together on power and authority. Some miracles are done by power, and some miracles are done by authority. And each one was different, and how you connect, how, you, how that uh, miracle happens is different for each. In the area of power, when the power of God came come on at someone, there was a connection that was made. It did not always have to be a physical connection, but a connection was made to the power, just like when you plug an outlet or plug a, a, something into an outlet, there's a connection that's made so that power can flow. Authority, though, needs confidence. I need to know that this is what I can walk in. I need to know that this is under the realm of my authority or something that I can, I can speak to. We looked at the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus spoke to, to him. This was the power of God that was going to restore this, this lame man so that he could walk. But never did Jesus touch him. But Jesus gave him a command, and he said, take up your bed, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And so he rose up, took up his bed, and he walked. But there was no, no connection. 
up until then, the connection was supposed to be get in the pool. The angel was going to come down and he was going to charge the pool with healing power. And the first one in who made that connection would receive the healing power. He said, no one is around to, to put me in. So Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He did that. He made the connection by doing what Jesus said. And that was the, the one we looked at with the, the lame man. That was a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and pull that off the internet if you like. We saw that some of the things that, that Jesus will command, sometimes it is something that we are unable to do. Sometimes it is something that we are unwilling to do. And sometimes it's something that we can do, but we just don't think it will do any good. And it's a stretch for our faith to even do it and believe that it will have, a, have an effect. Last time we were together, we looked at the two fish harvest. And Jesus said to, uh, to Peter, may I use your boat? There is no promise of reward. There was no promise of a miracle. All he said was, may I use your boat? And Peter said yes. And let him use his, his boat for that time. And we saw the only thing we know out of this interaction is what happened before he taught and what happened after he taught. That was it. We don't know what, what Jesus preached. And Jesus is a good preacher. But that message is left out. What they wanted us to see was what happened before and what happened after. May I use your boat? And because they obeyed, may I use your boat? Jesus, after he was done teaching, said, go out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. They went out into the deep. They let down their one net for a catch. It was more than they could contain. But if they had not been obedient in the first thing, which seems to be unrelated, they would not have been in a position to receive the other. There are many times God is trying to get us into a position to receive a harvest into a position to receive a miracle, into a position to receive a blessing. And he asks us to do something that seems completely unrelated. We, can't, we don't even think that has anything to do with it. But by us doing it, it puts us in a position to receive that blessing. And we need to, we need to listen. We need to, we need to obey. Boy, that was good. some good things going on here this morning. Uh, some of you came up and up and get... Uh, got prayed for if you received healing in your body today make sure you fill out a praise report we will read that at the end of the service let people know god was using them god moved through them it's good for folks to know that would you turn over in your bibles to luke chapter 7 luke chapter 7 verse 1 now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people he entered capernaum and a, certain, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die let me stop with this right here most times that we are dealing with someone who is close to us, someone who is important to us, someone whom we really love, when it gets into the area of faith, we get messed up. Because we let our emotions rule us and not our faith. I've heard people talk faith, faith, faith with people that are outside of their close, their close circles. But as soon as it's a relative, as soon as it's someone they love, they throw it all out. Well, you know, you can't pray for that that way. Yeah, but God really needs to do that. Oh, I just love this one so much. Their emotions have overshadowed it. This man does not let his emotions overshadow his faith. And that's a hard thing to do. This is someone who's very, very close to him. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. 
he heard about Jesus. We have no indication that this man ever saw Jesus minister. All we know is that he heard that Jesus ministered healing, that he heard Jesus preached, that he heard Jesus did miracles. He heard about Jesus. That was it. But that was enough for this man to engage his faith. He heard about Jesus. And so he knew that Jesus was a Jew. He was not. So he sent Jewish people to him, figuring that Jewish people would be able to relate to him in a better way than he would or than his servants or his friends could. So he sent the elders over and the elders approached Jesus saying he is deserving. He is worthy. You should do this thing for him. Look at he loves our country. Look at this. He has built us a synagogue. Look at what he loves. Look at what he does. Now, these Pharisees, these are, these are elders, I'm sorry, these, these are elders of the Jews, apparently have a fond affection for the centurion. And it's messed up with their faith. Because they are not approaching Jesus in the realm of faith. They are approaching Jesus in the realm of he deserves it. He's worthy. Look at what he's done. Look at what he loves. And, as, and we get messed up on this too because as soon as our emotions get involved, we get down on our knees and we start asking God, God, don't you know how much I love you? God, don't you know how much I've done for you? When we get messed up emotionally, we, we throw our faith out and we start looking at what we've done, what we love, why we should get this. You healed so-and-so, they just got born again last week. I've been following after you all my life. I'm worthy. I deserve this, is what we're doing. Now, here's my question. Why does Jesus go with them when they approach him in this way? The answer is real simple. This man is in faith. And even they cannot stink up the joint enough for Jesus not to be able to tell the faith is here. He goes in spite of them, not because of them. He loves our nation. He has built us a synagogue. But Jesus, he goes ahead and, and goes. You're not going to get anywhere with God with pleading, talking about all your actions, all the things you've done. Stop building the case. He wants you to, to come after him in faith. Now, what we learn from this first part of the story is that other people see him as worthy. Other people see the centurion as deserving. As we go on in the story, we're going to see that he has a different view. But other people see him as worthy. Other people see him as deserving. In verse 6, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now, the first group was who? The elders of the Jews. The second group is who? His friends. There's a reason the Word of God puts that in there. Because the first group is begging and pleading. They are not doing the will of the centurion. They are doing the will of themselves. So he sees that this is what's going on. That's not what I asked them to do. But they didn't have faith to ask him to do what he wanted. So he says, you guys, you know, my, you know me, you know my heart. This is what I want to have going on. 
Can you go and approach Jesus for me? He doesn't even see himself as worthy to come to Jesus himself. Can you guys go for me on my behalf and just tell him this? Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. He doesn't see himself as worthy for Jesus to come into his house. He doesn't see himself as worthy to be in Jesus' presence. So he sends other people to go on his behalf. That's a very different view from the first five verses that we had. He's deserving. He is worthy. Look at what he's done. Look how much he loves our country. Very different from that. Now, if you went over to, to Matthew's, gospel we see that jesus it says in verse six that jesus went with them but if we go over to matthew's gospel this is what we find out and jesus said to him i will come and heal him i came out of jesus mouth i will come and heal him so jesus is telling us that the centurion is worthy for jesus to come into his house jesus is telling us that he is that the centurion is worthy for Jesus to come into his presence. But the centurion's view of this is what? I am not worthy and my house is not worthy. My wife had this word. How did that word go? Read that again. What was your word you had there this morning? He is able, but are we willing to receive? God is willing, but do we see ourselves as worthy? Too often, folks, we have disqualified ourselves from the blessings of God, from God moving through us, from the power of God, from the authority of God, because we simply say, I'm not worthy. And yet here we have a case where a man who was a great man of faith, according to Jesus, sees himself as unworthy for the presence of Jesus in his house and unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. And Jesus disagrees. Now, does Jesus ever come into his presence in this story? No. Does Jesus ever come into his house? No. Was Jesus willing to come into his house? Was Jesus willing to come into his presence? Just because God is willing to do something does not mean it will happen. Your unwillingness to receive, your view of being unworthy, will disqualify you. Not from God's point of view, but from yours. Because Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Tom Matthew wrote it for us. Luke just left out what he, what he said. Well, he's not far from the house. He could see that Jesus is coming with the elders. He said, no, that's, that's not what was supposed to happen. What they were supposed to do was to just have Jesus say something. But the elders of the Jews did not have faith to ask Jesus for that. They couldn't do it. All right, now we really get into the nuts and bolts that's here. He said, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. How is the servant going to be healed? By Jesus speaking the word. And he does not even need to be in the same zip code. He just needs to speak the word and this will happen. Verse 8. For I... Also, am a man placed under authority, 
having soldiers under me. Before we go on with that, let's take a look at this. For I also am a man under authority. That tells us that he recognizes that Jesus is a man under authority. If you are someone who is under authority, there is an authority over you, an authority to which you submit to. Because authoritative power, this is not in your outline, you can write this down if you want to, do whatever you want with it. Authoritative power comes from the top down. Authoritative power comes from the top down. So as long as the one who's in authority endeavors to allow the power to pass through to you, you receive that authority. Now, in the natural, what people grow in authority? If you were in, this man is in the army, army of some type, you know, he's a centurion. If you were in the armed forces, and if you were a private, how are you going to get recommended to go into the next level, to become a sergeant or to become um, uh, uh, any of the other rankings that are that are out there how would that someone who's a ranking officer must see the potential in you and therefore recommend that you would be promoted moved into this place of authority because the higher you go in authority the more people you have under you so what they're look for is how do you behave with the people that are under you well if you are a private in the army how many people are under you Nobody. You're at the bottom. You're at the bottom. And so, what does a person in authority have to judge whether you should be moved up to the next... Uh, Brother Jolly, what's the next rank after private? Is it sergeant? Corporal? Corporal. All right. Corporal and then sergeant? All right. I have no idea how the rankings go. Just ask for help. All right. So, corporal is the next, next spot that you could get moved up to. So... If the private is going to move up to corporal, how is the uh, officer who's over top of him, how is he supposed to judge him? Because there is no one under the private. Real simple answer. How does he handle orders given? That is all you have to judge by. Because the only way that a private can move up in ranking is if that private obeys the orders from his superior flawlessly. How did Joseph move up? As a slave. How did he move up as a prisoner? He handled things that were given to him flawlessly, so therefore he was moved up. How was Daniel promoted in a foreign land? The Word of God says that everything they gave him to do prospered. And they couldn't find any fault with anything that he did. So he kept moving up until finally the king was saying he was given thought to making him second in charge over all the land. And people didn't like that. But you, you start off with where you're at. If you're a private, then the only thing they have to judge by is how do you handle authority? Look at what he says. For I also am a man placed under authority. People that are in positions of authority can recognize when others are under authority. That one, that one is operating underneath authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, can t- I, I don't know what their authority is, but I can tell this one is operating under authority because they are a person in authority. So they recognize when other people are walking in authority as well. 
So he simply says this. Now remember, he's never seen Jesus. He doesn't feel he should grace Jesus' presence because he's not worthy. He's not seen Jesus operate. He has only heard about Jesus. And yet he knows as much about him. For I also am a man placed under authority. You are placed under authority. It is not usurped. There are people in the body of Christ who would rather usurp a position of authority than be placed in one. Have you ever heard this said in not this church, other churches in other states and other countries? Not around here. Okay. <laughs> but have you ever heard people who have said things, well, they don't recognize what I'm doing. So I have to just, and they say what it is they're going to do. Have you ever heard people in the Christian circle say that? I've heard it. I also am a man placed under authority. The first thing this man talks about is the authority he is under. A wrong spirit, first thing they talk about is the authority they have. First thing he talks about is the authority he is under. I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. Now, I got a question for you. I want you to read that verse again and answer this question for me. How good are those soldiers? Anybody know? We have no idea, do we? He doesn't say whether they're good, bad, or anything. How many of you have ever seen a group of soldiers? In that group of soldiers, are there good ones and bad ones? <laughs> there sure are. When we were uh, visiting Christian for the first time on base, you know, we saw the guys that he was powing around with, and they were good guys. They were sharp. They were, it's like, wow, oh, I can see why you like this. These are good guys. And then we, we walked through part of the uh, area that was the entertainment area for the, for the guys, and he wasn't associating with any of the guys there. He just kind of walked past them. And I had the opportunity to observe them while he was trying to sign out. And I said, dear God, I am glad he is nowhere near any of these people that are here. <laughs> the language that was coming out of their mouth, the attitudes that were there, and he had no part of them at all. The guys he was with, respectful, sharp. They were, they were good. So you get a group of soldiers around, you're going to have good ones and bad ones. So if he has soldiers under him, how many of y'all know he's got some good ones, some mediocre ones, and some bad ones? Have you ever had bad apples? I mean, just folks that just were no good, and then you've had some real good ones? You know, one place we saw this was uh, when my son was, he was out doing some uh, sports, intramural things, and, and so um, we, we learned early on the best way to get control of the schedule of the intramural sports. How many have ever had trouble with intramural sports schedules? Yeah, they want to schedule you over church. They want to schedule over these things. So we figured out pretty early on the best way to nip this in the bud is to become a coach. If you are a coach, you have say in what the schedule is. Parents, no say. No say at all. Coach, some say. And so we got in there and um, they were needing coaches. You know, we did soccer and we did basketball. They were needing coaches. Then they liked to schedule things on Sunday morning. So I simply came to them and said, look, we'll coach the, the, I'll coach the, the soccer team. I'll coach the basketball team. But um, I can't be here Sunday morning because I'm a pastor and I have a church. 
so if we have practice, if we have, you know, you can't schedule me at Sunday morning, Wednesday night, I'm not here. If you're going to schedule us, if you're going to schedule our team, they're going to be here without a coach. You do it on Saturday, you do it on a Friday, we're here. So we no longer had the issue of soccer games or basketball games on Sunday morning. It was completely eliminated. We, I told them, you know, we can be there by 2. So we had 2 o'clock soccer games, but we didn't have 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock soccer games or basketball games. And so uh, in soccer, they assigned you. In basketball, we drafted them. But in soccer, they are assigned. You show up and they hand you, this is your team, whether you like them or not. And so there's a number of different people we had on the team. There's this one guy. He was very large. His mom put him into intramural soccer because she wanted to get him off the couch. He was not exercising very much, and this was basically going to be his exercise. And so he was on our team, ended up being on our team just about every year. He was on our team. He was not fast. He was not talented. He was not knowledgeable of the game of soccer. He just was a body. But for the most part, that body would do what you asked him to do. And then the last year that we were coaching soccer, this particular uh, gentleman decided, I'm not going to do anything that you want me to do. I'm just going to sit here and do my own thing. If I want to play goal, I'll play goal. If I don't want to play goal, I'm not going to play goal. If I want to play defense, I'll play defense. If I don't, I don't. I'm not going to play defense. And so you didn't know where this guy was. He wants, I want to go score some. I'm going to go up and I'm going to score. You're, but you're on defense. I don't want to be on defense. I want to be up here scoring. And he just would, he, he just out of place. And I'd pull him aside and we'd be talking to him. You know, you can't be doing this. You, wherever your position is, we try and move everybody around. I'll move you around. But you've got to be where I tell you to be. And he decided not to. Worked it out with the mom and dad. Sat his, his little butt down. You'll sit right there. You're not playing on my team if you're not going to do what I say. Now, that's one extreme. He wasn't that way all the time. Now, my son was a completely different extreme. Whatever I told him to do, he did it. No matter what it was. Whatever it was, basketball, it, it, he would do it. He, if I told him, you know, we're, we're lining up this way, I want you to play this position and to be here. He stayed in that position and he did exactly what I told him to do. It was great. If you want somebody to follow instructions, he was the guy to get it. There might be other people that were more talented at uh, basketball or some other thing. But if you want somebody who's going to follow instructions, this is the guy. Then we had another guy. And I've seen him operate on other teams and developed an attitude about him. Have you ever done that? Developed an attitude about somebody? Not having actually interacted with them, but just from afar? And so he played our team in basketball, and some not-so-nice words came out of his mouth. And some very bad attitudes came out of his mouth. And some racial things came out of his mouth. And it got me upset. It got me angry at this particular individual. And I determined, when we drafted our basketball team, he will not see my team. So then we went through soccer. In that soccer season... They handed us our team. Guess who was on the team? This particular young man. I said, man, I really don't want to work with him. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his mouth. Other team, he has a lot of talent, 
but it was hard to corral it. And other, other uh, coaches, great talent, great talent. If you were drafted in basketball, he was a first-round draft pick. That's how good he was. But he got picked around the fifth, sixth, seventh round because no one wanted to deal with his attitude. He had a bad attitude. I got stuck with him in the soccer. Ah, uh, well, let's just make the, the best of it. So we're watching them all play. You know, you do some things. And I came up. I don't, I'm not saying I'm a big soccer mind. I just came up with something for him to do. And I said, I pulled him aside and I said, look, I want you to do something very unusual in the area of soccer. But I think you can do it because you have a lot of speed and you have a lot of stamina. So here's what I'm going to have you do. I want you to the entire game, because no one likes to play defense. They all want to play offense. They all want to score goals. I want you for the entire game, I want you to be on defense. But if you see an opportunity to take that ball and go clear down the other side, I want you to do it. But when you get done and you either shoot that ball or pass that ball or whatever, you hightail it back and you get back on defense before that ball gets back there. Can you do it? He says, yeah, coach, I can do it. So I said, all right, good. So I called the whole team around. I says, all right, now here's our positions, forwards here, this one or all of them. Now, I said, you're going to see this particular guy do some things that are out outside of that and i've talked to him about it but his position is defense he will be back on defense by the time we need him to be there and don't you know this guy pulled it off he got all the way up there sometimes he was a good scorer too and he did that and he came back and he was just so happy that somebody believed in him that his whole attitude changed and he was one of the best guys on the team to the point that the other coaches said what did you do with him then basketball time came. So I know a little bit about this guy. I know he's a first-round draft pick. I know he's not going in the first round. I waited, I think, until the second round. I don't know if I waited until the third round, but I wasn't going to wait too long. I know he was a talent. And so I pulled him and put him on our team. He was happy when I called him up on the phone and said, hey, you're on my team. He says, oh, good. And so we got on out there, and we worked on some things. And don't you know, in the first couple of games, he had an incident on the court with another player and everybody believed he was at fault and that he did something wrong. I pulled him over to the side. They, he got a technical foul. He got all kinds of stuff. I pulled him off to the side. I says, I know you didn't do what they said you did. I know it. I was watching the play. I'm glad you didn't react. I'm glad you didn't cuss out the ref. Now you need to sit here on the bench. And I need you to have a good attitude about this. I know you didn't do it. And his attitude changed. And he became a productive player on the court. To this day, I've, I've seen him a handful of times after we've gotten done coaching. Oh, he was wonderful. <laughs> he just was a wonderful. He'd come up and say, hey. And he'd, he'd say hello to me. I'd say hello to him. We'd catch up on where each other was at and what each other was doing. And it was a, it was a good thing. We say all that for this. You're going to have all kinds of people that are put under your authority. You're going to have all kinds of soldiers on your team. That does not speak to who you are. What speaks to who you are is how you develop them. Because you're going to have some people on your team with good attitudes. And you're going to have some people on your team with bad attitudes. How are you going to bring the big people with the bad attitudes out? And how are you going to keep the people with the good attitudes a good attitude when you got a bad apples on the team. You can do it. What kind of people did he have on his team? 
He doesn't mention it. He just says, there's soldiers under me. Now, here's the kicker. I want you to see what goes on in this next verse. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Do you know what he just did for us right there? He just defined everything that can be done under authority. In the area of authority, authority deals with going, coming, and doing. Authority deals with going, coming, and doing. If you wonder, is this an authority thing or is this a power thing? Does it involve going? Does it involve coming? Does it involve doing? How many of you want blessings of God to come to you? Is that an authority or power issue? It's an authority. Why? Because you're commanding something to come. If you want disease to leave you, is that an authority issue or a power issue? It's an authority. Why? Because I want the disease to go. Evil spirits, we want them to go. Authority. Or doing. Jesus came up to the fig tree. And what did he tell that fig tree to do? Told that fig tree to dry up. That no one would ever eat fruit from you again. And what did the fruit tree or the the fig tree do? It did something, did it? It didn't go anywhere. But it did something. It died. It dried up from the roots. Authority deals with going, coming, and doing. What do you need to go? What do you need to come? And what do you need to be done? Now, if you were over in the children's church for uh, any time recently, we had a big project over there. Ended up being a lot longer project than it should have been. But um, one Sunday, we were over here at church. We left church. Children's folks were still over there. We were at one of the restaurants eating with some, some people. And I got a phone call and said, hey, Brother Keith called me up. He said, the, the water heater apparently is done and it's leaking all over the floor. That's not really what you want to hear, ever. I mean, is there a good time for a water heater to go? There is not. Now, it's probably better that it's after service than before service. But anyway, hot water heater went. And so we had to do that. We had to take care of that. So um, one of the times Corey was over there with me, we got a new hot water heater. We brought it into the church. And I was going to take the, while he was there, I was going to take the old one out. And so we went back there and we, uh, we, we went to move it. But it's full of water. It's, it's only a 30, 30 uh, 40-gallon tank, something like that. But 10, 10 pounds per gallon adds up. Mm-hmm. Now, in the area of authority... In the church, I'm the pastor. I have authority over Corey. Don't I? Why can't I just say to Corey, pick that up and get it outside? Why why didn't I just do that? It doesn't involve going. Doesn't it involve doing? Doesn't it involve coming? Corey, come here. I want you to do this. I want you to take this hot water and I want it gone. So it involved all three. Coming, going, and doing. Why don't I just say that? 
Because it is not in Corey's ability to lift a three, four hundred pound water heater and take it outside. That would be called abuse of power. And that's abusing authority. Have you ever had people in authority over you ask you to do things that are not possible? That's not necessarily something that, that, is, uh, that is good. Authority, miracles in the area of authority, deal with what is possible. Authority deals with what is possible. Is it possible that if a disease germ is in your body wreaking havoc, that that disease germ can go? It sure can. There are some things that may be a little bit incredible, unheard of, difficult, but still they are possible. Jesus said, if you speak to this mountain and tell it to go, what will it do? It will go. Now, that seems difficult to us, but apparently it is possible. It is possible for the mountain to go. We looked at some of those Michael Jordan shots and Larry Bird shots in the commercial. How many of you think that's not possible? Well, I don't know if I filled these in for you in your outline there, but it looks like I, I skipped a couple of the, the ones that are there. The need under, um, on the, the having soldiers under me, the need is not to be given better soldiers, but to make the soldiers you have better. Did anybody get that one? One who is skilled in authority is one who develops those under his authority. I still had that up on my screen there. I wanted to get that out because... When to go on to these other parts. So authority involves three things. Go, come, and do. Authority deals with what is possible. Power deals with what is impossible. Authority deals with what is possible. Maybe we've never heard of it happening before, but it is apparently possible for a mountain to move. Power deals with what is impossible. When the man was laying down on the mat by the pool of Siloam and Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Is that possible? The reason that man was laying down the mat was because he did not have the ability to walk. So what Jesus asked him to do was impossible. So what needs to kick in? The power of God. When you need something done in your body that is impossible, you need to tap into the power of God. When you need something done to your body that is possible, what do you need? Authority. You walk in authority. Here's the big difference. Remember, we went over this before. In the area of authority, I can receive a partial harvest if I only partially obey. We saw the fish harvest. Did they fully obey what Jesus said? Jesus said, let down the nets. And they went out and let down the net. They partially obeyed. Many times we'll see this in the Bible, that in the area of authority, partial obedience still may yield a harvest. It may be a partial harvest, but it may still yield a harvest because there is some obedience there. But in the area of power... How much obedience is needed? Complete. When Naaman was dipping in the river Jordan, how many times did he have to dip? Seven. If he was partially obedient and did six times, what would happen? 
nothing. Power needs 100% obedience, instant obedience to tap into the power of God. If you need the power of God, that's what you need to be willing to do. Power deals with what is impossible. If we are going to receive in the area of authority, we've got to follow after what this guy did. This guy said, I too am a man under authority. That meant this guy recognized Jesus' authority and was submitted to it. Because what do you say? Speak the word and my servant will be healed. Does that show that he has a submission to his authority? He believes that the authority that Jesus has is powerful. And he submitted to it. The Pharisees would not submit to the authority of Jesus or to the source that he had. What you had with the Pharisees was you had a bunch of people who came up with their own authority and went outside of God. Tried to pass it off as being God, but didn't, didn't follow after that. And what did the people say about the Pharisees? When they were describing Jesus, they said of Jesus, This man teaches us as one having authority. And not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Huh. They picked it up just in his teaching. Because he had authority. Why? Because Jesus was under authority. You have got to recognize that authority. If you want to pray for someone, minister to someone in the area of authority, what do they have to do? They have to submit to the authority that you operate under. They have to recognize that that authority is there. If they don't recognize that authority, if they don't submit themselves to that authority, what can they receive? Nothing. Nothing. You cannot just because your emotions got involved and, well, I really love this one or this one's a member of my family and I don't want to see them die and, well, can we just pray for them that God will do something? What's the open door? There's always an open door. Authority has an open door. Power has an open door. Either connection or submitting to that authority, having the confidence of, of that authority. Now look at Jesus' response here. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Take this note. Authority involves faith. Not just knowledge. There are many people who have the knowledge of the authority of Jesus Christ, but not the faith of it. Remember before we started this off? Authority, I'm sorry, power needs connection. Authority needs confidence. That's what faith gives you. He said, I have not found such great faith not in all Israel. Wow. This man spoke words of faith because he understood authority. I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Those who were sent when they got back, the servant is well. So here's this, what we need to get out of this for the area of authority. Number one, I need to recognize authority to receive. I need to recognize it. I need to acknowledge it. It needs to be part of my life. A lot of folks who never get past this. Sometimes we get to the place where we recognize God. 
but not the ones he has empowered. God has set some in the church, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, and so forth. God has set them in. God has given gifts unto man. God has set them in the church. If God has set them in the church and we resist them, are we not resisting him? And if we are resisting him, what can I receive in the area of authority? Very often, folks, if authority is not working in our life, in what we're doing, somehow we have cut off the source because authority, the power of authority flows downward. Are there people you are under that you are resisting? Yeah, but you don't know. They're, they're not that good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were the judge of that. Your submission to God has nothing to do with how good the man or woman servant of God is. You submit to God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. and He will flee from you. Look at the order with which the man, the centurion, gave. I, too, am a man under authority. Submit, therefore, to God. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Change the word around. And he will go. Does this man not follow exactly what James teaches? But he never read James. Isn't that interesting? That this man followed the doctrine that James taught us in chapter 4. And yet he never read it. He's not even an Israelite. Recognize to receive. You have got to recognize the authority of God and the authority that God puts in the servants that are here. And if you resist them, you resist him. And if you resist him, the word of God says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Recognize to receive. Secondly, yield to go, come and do. What's that mean? means when people that are over you say, go, come, and do, what do you do? Go, come, or do. Because by doing that, I am strengthening my position in authority. Every time someone over me gives me an order to go, come, or do, and I follow it, I have strengthened my place in authority. What happens if I don't go, come, or do? I weaken my authority. Well, amen anyway. That's, that is true. I have to first off yield to go, come, and do. He says, I say to this one, go. And what's he do? He goes. Which group of soldiers is that? Is that the good group of soldiers? The bad group of soldiers? He, he didn't say, did he? He says, I say to this one, go. And he goes. I say to this one, come. And he comes. I say to this one, do this. And he does it. Do you know what's interesting about the two stories? We have, we have Matthew's account. We have Luke's account. In both accounts, you'll see some differences between the two, between the, the way they narrate it. All of them have this. Go, come, and do. 
All of them have that in there. Exactly. I have to yield to go, come, and do. Then I can speak, go, come, and do. I can say to this one, go. I can say to this one, come. I can say to this one, do this. But again, if you're going to say do this, you've got to judge. Is it possible? Don't abuse authority. Don't tell Corey to go lift up a 400-pound water heater. Carry it outside. <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't do that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure if I asked him, he probably would have tried. But <laughs> Here's the last one. Have faith, not just knowledge. Have faith, not just knowledge. You've got to have faith. You have to have confidence in that authority. Not just the knowledge that it exists. Not just the knowledge that you have it. You need to have the faith, the confidence that that brings. Recognize, yield, speak, have faith. Where are you at in this? If Jesus were to come down, what would he say about you in this area? How are you doing in the recognizing the authority? How are you doing, and this is the hard, this is the hardest one, the yielding to go, come, and do. Because every time that somebody tells us to go, come, or do, what are we going to do? I don't think they asked me that right. Did you hear how they asked me that? Wasn't right. I didn't like the way they asked me that. They always are asking me to do that. Every time they ask me to do something, that's what it is. Get tired of doing the same thing all the time. The only reason we have thoughts like that is because we have not recognized the authority that we are under and we recognize our own authority more. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They recognized their own authority and not the authority of God. Therefore, they judged everything that Jesus said, whether they would do it or whether they would not. God has placed people over top of us. Sometimes they ask us to do things we don't like. Sometimes they interact with us in a way we're not happy about. But will we submit to go, come, and do? Or will we resist? If I resist, I am cutting off my own power source. And it's one of the reasons, probably the main reason, why authority is not working in my life. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, we thank you for the stories, the accounts of Jesus, interactions he had, the people of faith that came into his sphere and how he was able to help us to see the wisdom, the faith, the confidence that they had. Father, we want to grow in that same thing. I thank you that you have given us authority, that you have given us authoritative power, not because of anything that we have done, but because you have given it to us. As we have freely received it, we freely give it. Glory to God. Help us, Father, to look in our own life. Where am I coming up short? It's easy to have an eye for who else is coming up short. Help us have an eye for ourselves. Where am I coming up short? I need to walk in a way that I submit to God so that I can resist the enemy, and have him go from me. Father, we thank you for those people that are in our lives that tell us to come, that tell us to go, that tell us to do, for they're giving us opportunity to grow. 
It is only us that shuts it off. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Do we have some praise reports here this morning? If anybody else has a praise report, get into one of the ushers. They're standing looking around. This from um, Daryl. He said, uh, God has allowed us to take the idea of snow removal from concept to completion um, with customers waiting in three days this past week. So that's another avenue of income. Hallelujah. And these are my favorites. I'm so excited. Jolly said he got another soul for the kingdom. Hallelujah. He said, God has accomplished one purpose of promoting me into a management position. He says, a supervisor, a Jewish descent, received Christ into his heart. He was just too thrilled and was screaming in my office, I believe, I believe. Now the Lord will continue the work of discipleship in him. Amen. And Mercy has one. So the patient of mine repented and accepted Christ. Um, since last week, he will always inquire if I was coming to work and so as to have me assigned to his room for care. He is overjoyed in his new life with Christ. Amen. Two more souls for the kingdom. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. We, we have some of those going on. Yeah, we just have a couple announcements. Um, your tax statements, I do have them. If I don't have it here with me, it's because I mailed them off. <laughs> There's just a few that I, I did put in the mail already. Um, this, how many of you saw this it's for our Valentine banquet? It's going to be this, uh, <coughs> excuse me, February the 12th. It's a Friday evening. We're gonna, it says it's starting, we're starting at 6.30. We put an end time of 9. I don't know why we do that at our church. We just kind of hang out till <laughs> the cows come home. But um, 6.30, if, some people are coming from afar from after work. So if you're not here right away, that's okay. You're not going to miss dinner. We're going to start with appetizers and have a, a couple of um, icebreaker things. So We'll leave the light on for you. Yeah, but the way that we do it here at church is not that if you are married or if you have a boyfriend, you can bring a friend, you can bring a sister, you can bring a brother. The only thing we ask is don't bring children. I don't think that it will be an appropriate night for kids. This is a night for adults to just come out and have a good time. So if you have a friend, you have a neighbor, somebody you would like to bring like that, that's fine. We do need you to sign up, though, because we want to make sure we have enough food. Okay? Um, was there anything else? I have a few. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, men, Friday night. That's, uh, yeah, this is Friday night. We are going to the car show. If you have not been to the car show before and you'd like to come along with us, we'd love to have you come along. We uh, try and get everybody into as many cars as we can. We head out somewhere between 4.30 and 5 usually. Uh, if you want to be included in the group that goes, just let us know. And we'll get all the details here to you. So let me know, let Keith know. But uh, make sure we have, have uh, you down for contacting, the, the, we know, the, to touch base with you. Once we go to the car show, we come on, we don't just come home, we then go out to Famous Dave's. And this is where we go for a man-sized meal. And you will come out of there full. It is a good place to go, and we have a group, we have big tables, we can put everybody there. So I'm sorry, ladies, if you all want to go to the car show, get your own group. This is the men's group that's, that's going for this one. So it's just the guys that are going on this one. Not saying that ladies don't enjoy cars. You probably enjoy cars. And if you want to go, that's great. There's a find another night and go and have fun. I'm sure many of you. What's that? Okay. <laughs> Mercy's going to head up that, that car group. That's Friday night. Uh, somewhere around 435 is when we try to, uh, try to get out and leave. Wednesday night, we're back over here for the, for the uh, Wednesday night service. We're in uh, chapter 14. 
And we're going to be looking at a really interesting story in which a good king goes up in battle against a bad king and the bad king wins. Now, why is that? Why doesn't God show up for the good king? The, uh, this, is, this is one that God said he was a good king. And the other one, God said he's an evil king. And the evil king came and battled the, the good king and the evil king won. So it's a fun little uh, aspect of things. We're going to be getting into that on, on Wednesday night. Uh, next Sunday, after church is, is going over, we're going to have some after church classes that are going to begin. The first one we're going to have is the uh, Good Foundations class. And Brother Mike is going to be teaching this one. And um, he'll give us, I guess, some summaries of what's going to happen with that. But that's going to, just for uh, people that are uh, wanting to make sure that some of the foundational things of, of Scripture, that you got a hold of that, that's going to be going on after church on Sunday. We're going to say somewhere like 1, 1 We want to give you time to go on out and get something to eat. And to, I mean, you can go over to Sal's if you want to. You can go down to Wendy's. You can do whatever you want to do. You can bring a snack lunch. It does not matter uh, on, on that way. But uh, come on back over here around 1, 1, 15. As soon as everybody can get back, we'll, uh, we'll get that class started. And then I think we're going to go every other week with this. We'll have the um, uh, end times class. We'll start that one up. We're going to start off with the book of Daniel. So if you'd like to come on out for the end times class, we'll probably alternate them because I think there's people who want to do both. And uh, we'll probably better off on, and just alternating them and letting folks uh, be able to do that. So that's going to be this this Sunday. I know this is Super Bowl Sunday, but the Super Bowl does not start until when? Six. Oh, that's right. We got the covered. We got the covered dish dinner. All right. So maybe it's not this Sunday. If not, we'll just move it all back. I did forget the salt meat was. Yep. All right. So bummer. We'll uh, we'll move it in there. But anyway, salt meeting then will be this Sunday. And communion. Yeah. Um. We'll have the salt meeting, and then we'll start up. Unless you all want to stay after, after for the class. No. <laughs> so that, will, that will go on there as well. All right, so we'll do it that way. We'll have the, the salt meeting next Sunday and, um, and, and go with that. So anyway, if you want to be involved in these classes, you don't really have to sign up. You just have to show up. And just uh, uh, come on out for, for that. We'll have them, have them going on. If the, the, if the makeup of both classes is different, different people want to be in different classes, then we can have them both going on at the same time, just in case... Uh, that's, that's the same. We wanted to give everybody that opportunity to, to do both. So y'all enjoy our parking lot out there? I don't know what they were thinking when they, when they plowed those things off because it seemed like they brought all the snow towards the building instead of away from the building. It seems smarter to move the snow away from the building than to bring it to the building. But last Sunday when I was here at 9 o'clock, we still had three feet of snow blocking the entrance to the uh, church here. Just uh, just three feet of snow, you would have to get in there. You imagine the, the ladies with the shoes and trying to get in there. It wasn't going to happen. That was not. I know you probably weren't getting out of your, your driveway anyway. But anyway, they were. They had done about half of it and they weren't here when, when I was here. And then I guess they came back after that and, and finished some, some things off. But um, it did not look good. It still does not look good. We just need some um, major melt going on. Let's melt this stuff out of the, out of the way. But... Um, We'll see how we are, are doing that for, for next week. All right. Thanks all for coming on out here tonight. Uh, make sure that you get your church directory. If you didn't get one already, there is, they are on the back table. And uh, Connie has your tax statements. Have a great rest of the day.